Hello and welcome to another Use of Force. This week for our Queens Coast Walk, we have an incident that took place on the Grand Central Parkway. I'm going to read the Use of Force report that corresponds to it now. On October 4th, at 5.15 hours in the 115th Precinct, a detective assigned to an emergency service unit apprehension team conducted a car stop of a vehicle that was being driven recklessly and weaving between lanes. The detective attempted to stop the vehicle with lights and sirens, but the driver continued to evade the detective until the vehicle finally came to a stop on the Grand Central Parkway. While shouting commands for the driver to show his hands, the detective approached the vehicle, which was occupied by three people, with his firearm pointed in the direction of the vehicle. As he approached the vehicle, the detective fired one round from his weapon, striking the male driver in the abdomen, causing his demise. The subject did not have any prior arrest history. So there is a lot to cover on this particular instance as far as the background of the driver and passengers and the circumstances which led the police to be driving on the Grand Central at that time. Right. So the young man that was killed by the police in this incident was named Noel Polanco. He was 22. He was a member of the National Guardsmen and had been in that, had been in the National Guards for four years with the ultimate goal of becoming a police officer himself. He was driving on the Grand Central that night because he had gone to pick up one of his coworkers who worked at a bar that he also worked at and had picked her up and also another friend who was in the car at the time of this incident and was driving the three of them home. The other friend was actually an off-duty police officer and that person was sleeping in the back seat when all of this occurred. And Noel was drinking. His blood alcohol level was higher than the legal limit. So there was reason to pull him over. The reason that the this particular unit of police officers were on the road is that they were on their way from the Bronx to Brooklyn. They had just they were the type of police that do warrants that show up at places that have warrants and uh, execute the warrants. Execute the warrants, yeah. So they had just done that in the Bronx and they were going to Brooklyn to do that again. And that's when they spotted Noel Polanco's car that was was weaving and swerving and, and pulled him over. And the so I guess in the use of force report, it's interesting that it actually doesn't mention that the officer that shot Noel thought that he was reaching for a weapon under his seat. But in the reporting afterwards, that's what the officer says. The, that officer is named here 
because there was a lot of coverage about this and there were a number of lawsuits as well. And that was Detective Hassan Hamdi, who had been on the force for 14 years already to that point, had two previous lawsuits that he was involved in. One, apparently it wasn't, he was just kind of there and not really all that involved, and the other one where he was actively involved in the issue. And yeah, like I said, he thought that he had seen Noel Polanco reach under his seat for a weapon, and that's why he shot him. But the passenger in the car said that Polanco's hands were on the wheel the entire time, and when they looked in the car afterwards, there was no weapon. There was a drill underneath the seat, but there was no, there was no gun, which is what Officer Hamdi thought he had, he had seen happening. Um, and in fact, there was no weapon at all. Yeah. So this incident, like I said, did get a lot of coverage. The family of Noel Polanco was, you know, obviously very upset and did a lot of work to try to get justice for their family member. Um, Noel's sister and his mother were involved in a number of different lawsuits and there was a, a grand jury case that against uh, Officer Hamdi that it seems the the outcome of that didn't didn't happen until two years later and that was whether or not to indict the officer on any as as a crime and the jury decided not to do that. But then a few years after that, the city did lose the lawsuit. So those are two separate things, right? The, the officer himself was not indicted of any crime. But the city did pay for, or the city paid. I, I don't want to say the city paid for what had happened because obviously there's no they lost a family member and that's not, you can't just spend money to make that better. But the city lost the lawsuit. Um, it was a $2.5 million lawsuit. And you know, what I just said, the family really, what they really wanted was to have the officer removed and mm -hmm. charged with a crime or at least removed from the force. And that doesn't seem, it seems like he's still on the force. I can't tell for sure. But when I look at Capstat, it goes all the way to 2018, and that's that's the uh, most recent data that that they share on there. And I think that's I think that's the most recent data that's public. And there were no articles written about this officer since then, so it, it's possible that he's not on the force anymore. But he definitely was at least until 2018, and. In 2016, even, he, there's an article from the New York Times about how that particular officer ended up on Mayor uh, de Blasio's police force as a co-pilot for certain events, which 
that's, you know, this is a little extra information, I guess, and it's a little bit confusing, but, you know, de Blasio apparently didn't know that he was, didn't know the story, or at least didn't place the, that detective with the story, didn't recognize him, and didn't even realize he was there, but he was, so, so it's very clear that this officer wasn't fired, and I don't know that being put on the mayor's police force is like a promotion, but it, it seems like some sort of honor or, or like a, it seems like an important role. Right. Yeah. I mean, presumably it's not as difficult a job. I mean, there's a higher priority on what you're doing, but as far as the actual risk that's happening on any given day, it's probably a safer situation. Sure. Yeah, that's probably true. And speaking of that, um, as far as being safe, you know, in in a lot of these uh, reports and in the lawsuits and in the the way that the different police force people were excusing this behavior was to say that so so basically the the passenger in the car said that it seemed as though the officer that fired his gun was suffering from road rage, that he was frustrated that Noel Polanco hadn't pulled over his car and that they had to block him in and that he just seemed aggravated and aggressive and that that was why uh, they believed that he had fired his gun. And the off the other officers that were with him and the police commissioner at the time all said that there's no way that would have happened because this officer Hamdi was a veteran officer. He had been on the force for 14 years. He was involved in many sort of high stress situations. I guess these these teams that go to execute a warrant are often, you know, they're like put in a pretty high stress scenario often. So they, you know, the the other police officers were saying there's no way that he was just being aggressive or nervous, like he wasn't a rookie, this couldn't have been a mistake, he must have seen something. But it becomes a, you know, it becomes a situation where this was pre-body camera. So to actually know what happened, it's just one word against the other. And I guess I would I would say the fact that there was no weapon recovered from the car afterwards makes me feel like he shouldn't have fired his gun. Right. Yes, the concept of an experienced officer having some sort of ability to maintain themselves in adverse situations I think is an over-reliant, a strategy that's over-relied upon by the police officers. Right. I think that you can't necessarily prepare yourself for every scenario, for one. And I, I don't know how much after a certain point training really is just has an experience just has a diminishing return situation where you can be prepared up to a certain point, but then what's more indicative of a final outcome is 
the person's mental well-being and particular stressors in a given moment. And anybody that drives a car knows that you aren't the same person in, in a stressful situation when you're driving a car because you don't have, you, you have the uh, ability to, or you have fear in you potentially if there's something happening and you don't have the ability to communicate with another car the same way you do in person. So you start getting angry because people are not responding to the things that you're doing. Mm. And this idea that it's 5.30 in the morning, you know, so that is a, you know, mental impairment as well. And this car is not responding to you, so you're getting frustrated. And then you're blocking, you're doing this movie move, essentially, yeah. which, I mean, 14 years and you're executing warrants, how many of those warrants were in a car, you know, on the middle of the Grand Central Parkway? Right. I just, I highly doubt that this is a situation that has occurred, uh, <laughs> we'll be generous, more than five times, let's say that. You know, so it, it makes entirely all the sense in the world to me that this person would come up to this car and, and have whatever their training is superseded by whatever rage they're feeling. Right. Well, I also can imagine that, you know, they've just executed a warrant and they were on their way to do another one. Those were probably high stress situations. There, I, I mean, how often does that same police officer then just happen to pull someone over? I don't, I don't know, but it seems like that that's almost like a completely different job. The, peop the police that are on the road pulling people over regularly are probably used to how that goes, whereas the police that are executing warrants and potentially chasing people through their house or dealing with people that actually do have weapons or, or whatever it is, like you're probably expecting certain things that someone else might not be expecting. And so even if, I, I mean, I guess it's now that we've had a lot of police brutality happening and, and there is a conversation in our society about it. I think people know that if you are pulled over, you make sure that you're not moving at all. But you're also supposed to get out your license and you're supposed to get out your registration and all these things, they always ask for that too. So if someone is moving in the car when they're pulled over, I, I, th I would think that it would make sense to assume that they're getting their paperwork and not just assume that they're getting a weapon. But in this case, yeah, the, for whatever reason, the officer assumed that Noel Polanco was getting a weapon. And yeah, I, but I, I personally think that it makes sense that he was probably feeling angry and aggressive and feeling a lot of stress probably from the thing they had just done and feeling stress about getting to the next job, basically, and having to do this extra thing on the highway. Yeah. So I guess we should talk a little bit about the aftermath as well. We already mentioned that there was a grand jury 
that didn't indict uh, the officer. He was punished a little bit. Like he was, you know, lost some vacation time and had to do a training program and this, you know, this stuff that isn't really what the family wanted, but is, you know, what they tend to do in the police or in the NYPD at least. And then we mentioned that this New York City lost the lawsuit and paid the family 2.5 million. There's another thing that was happening that is worth saying, worth talking about where um, about a year and a half after this incident occurred, Noelle's mother was interviewed and she shared that the car that he had been driving was, he had been leasing it and the NYPD took the car as evidence. And up to a year and a half later, they still had the car as evidence. The NYPD still had the car and Noelle's mother was getting the bill every month to pay for the lease of the car. And neither the NYPD would cooperate to release the car, nor would the car company, I believe it was a Honda, stop sending these bills. Even at, he, she called and explained the situation multiple times and they would just say, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, but now, you know, you still owe this money. Which really just, I don't know. I mean, I read that and it like, somehow that really struck me just like the the lack of humanity within these different departments and systems yeah like this you know obviously this woman and this family are really struggling and they just lost a family member through an incident that got way out of hand like that never should have happened the the consequence of you know, I mean, yes, sometimes the consequence of driving drunk does lead to death, but not like this. This isn't usually what you would think of. And it's, yeah, you know, being involved in grieving for your family member and then also being involved in multiple lawsuits and people interviewing you and then also getting that reminder from the car company every month that you're still paying for this car that you don't use and that your son was killed in by the people that are supposed to protect us. Yeah. There was one other thing that I wanted to mention was that at the funeral for Noel, that was about a week later. Um, there were a number of articles about that and you know, it's not, I guess, in a way, this is a positive share, but it's also, you know, it's still very sad and um, ultimately, you know, nothing can fix what happened. But there were all of his different interests, you know, were, were shown there. So there were 
members of the National Guard that he was serving with. There were, he was part of a local car club and a lot of his friends from there were there. Um, his whole family was there. And then Reverend Al Sharpton actually gave the eulogy at his funeral. And so I guess if, you know, I don't know, we very rarely get to talk about any sort of positive things and and again yeah it's hard it's hard to talk about the positive things because it's really still not mm -hmm. but it i am at least happy to see that there is there seem to be a lot of support and care for the family and I, there's actually a facebook group that is about justice for noel polanco and it's still every year it looks like they they post something to remember him and uh it started they've started to post about other people that have been killed by the police and yeah i you know i don't obviously nothing can make it better but it's good to see that people are there for the family and looking to um remember this person that was I think I think this is a pretty clear one that he was unjustly killed. Yeah. Unjustly killed and someone that was interested in dedicating their lives to law enforcement. Right. So this is not a problem of us versus them. It never was and shouldn't be framed in that way because we'll never improve the situation for either side. It's just about improving the quality of our law enforcement, making sure that the things that will reduce the probability of awful incidences are executed upon and making sure that the irregularities within the law enforcement itself in terms of personnel, people that are not capable of fulfilling this role, which is not a judgment on them. It's an extraordinarily difficult difficult role, but that those people are, are not protected and that we can have an honest dialogue and an honest trimming or, a, you know, a curation of the people that are involved in this really important responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We want it, you know, we read the the NYPD signs are all about the best and the boldest and the strongest and the most courageous and the most compassionate. And it's just, let's, let's make that true. Like, I, I don't know why we're saying that when it's not true. I, I, I'd like that to be true. I'd like to live in a city where we can feel safe and we can feel respect for the people that are enforcing the law because they have respect for the people that they're meant to protect and serve. Yeah. So as always, if you have further information or interest in the death of Noel Polanco and like to share it with us, please contact us. And until next time, take care.